Welcome to Adaptation, the podcast that dives into all things self-optimization and self-discovery, helping you be your best inside and out. I'm your host, Steve Katazi, and today we've got the keto muscle building guru, Danny Vega, joining us for a part two on keto, but this time we're focused on maximally building muscle whilst being on a ketogenic diet. Can you do it? Danny first joined us on the show on episode 108, where we laid down the keto knowledge, definitions, and life benefits from taking a low-carb and no-still approach to nutrition. In this episode, we decided to get really curious and specific as it relates to performance and muscle growth. And the reason we ask this is simple, because for as long as there have been bodybuilding bros and athletes, there has been a strong emphasis on consuming lots of carbs to fuel performance and to get bigger and stronger. Therefore, the natural response to a keto diet is that it must be suboptimal for athletic and bodybuilding goals. Is this a true statement? Are carbs essential to maximize growth and progress? Can you build appreciable muscle on a low carb or keto diet? And what sacrifices are you making in doing so? These are important questions, as is the question about how to intelligently introduce carbs into a low-carb diet and still maintain ketosis and fat adaptation when you have very specific training goals in mind. And what performance issues can you expect as you transition into a ketogenic or low-carb lifestyle? And as you would expect, Danny does a great job on helping us answer these questions with detail, relatability and non-dogmatically, offering us all some great keto muscle building intelligence, some of which will surely surprise many listeners. I think this episode is great for everyone, whether you're on a low-carb diet or thinking about going on a low-carb diet or not on a low-carb diet at all. And the reason being is because we cover so many physiologic responses and detail as it relates to diets and their effects that they have on our training and muscle development. And as we got such a great response in episode 108, I'm pretty sure you're gonna love this one too. Danny is great, he's enigmatic, he's relatable, he's honest, and he's got so much wisdom as it relates to keto, muscle building, and just keto life in general. So let's get into it. We have got the Danny Vega answering all my questions as it relates to can you maximally build muscle on a keto diet? Oh, brother, it was so great, man. No no Christmas gifts this year. The kids loved it. They, really? They had, yeah, man, we, we did this no gift Christmas thing that I kind of, I started the conversation last Christmas to kind of warm them up to it. And I said, listen, we're going to go to the mountains of North Carolina. You guys are going to have a blast. It was me, you know, Ben Pakulski and his family. And, uh, and another one of our friends who's just this badass CIA special forces guy, our friend, Kurt. Um, and it was us three families, eight days and just lots of every morning waking up at 5.00 AM to do work with, uh, with the fellas plan out, you know, the year of 2020. And then, you know, spend the day with the kids doing hikes and going all over the place, man. It, it was it was awesome, man. That sounds lovely. But the no no present thing, like the kids didn't, didn't man, respond I'm negatively to that at all? 
I thought the five-year-old was going to give me problems, you know, and on Christmas Eve, I took them both to Walmart and I said, each of you have $50, uh, pick out three, uh, potential gifts that, that you would want from your brother. So basically like they all picked out, you know, several gifts so that there could be some sort of surprise. And I went with the older one, like exploring through Walmart and my wife went with my youngest. And it was amazing to watch, man, because when you, you give them the keys to the castle and you're like, okay, here, go get a thing, go pick a thing. And, you know, you see him walking through the, the Walmart and it's just like, he, he literally said, I'm looking for that thing that I just love. And in my mind, I'm like, you're not going to find it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and sure enough, there was nothing that really called his attention, you know? So I was just like, what a great lesson this is for them. I mean, he ended up getting some Nerf guns and things like that. But, you know, it, it was just so enlightening, man, just to watch them just like not really, you know, it's like, oh, okay, you want something. Okay, here, go pick something, go find it. And, and you know, they, they got a few things, but I mean, it was just like, that was a footnote in the whole, you know, on that whole trip, it was just a little footnote. So obviously he says, you know, next year, can we go back to our old system, which is, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, sure thing. You know, our old system is not much different. It's like something you want, something you need, something to wear and something to read. So, you know, nice. something you need is usually he'll pick it if unless like he says something else he wants and then I'll fix it. <laughs> um, and then something to wear and he picks something to read and that's it, man. That, that You know what? That is beautiful. I'm going to actually speak to the missus after this and see how she feels about the idea of no gift Christmas because obviously it flies in the face of tradition. And, you know, there's so much excitement that gets built up for everyone, all concerned with the whole present thing. Now, this year, oh. we did we, we pulled out of presents for friends and fa and for family so extended family we agreed oh, we, we weren't going to do that that was the biggest part of it actually and that, that was that was a big stress <laughs> reliever right because it's all bullshit oh, yeah. no one wants the presents you get them <laughs> just yeah they don't you don't even see them you're literally shipping things over and you're not and it's an obligation it's not like yeah. you know you're like out of the goodness of your heart you know exchanging gifts you're literally shipping it over and you know crossing you know you're basically checking a, a list i'll you give know? you money you give me money how about we just stop doing this nonsense right because yeah let's just hang out <laughs> oh that's beautiful man that is beautiful well thank you for sharing that listen i'm i've got the mics on and um okay i think we're just gonna we're just gonna roll if if you're good with yeah. that um yeah, i love it man you're a great host so you know let's do it i'm i'm down for whatever so so what we done last time is we had you on episode it was 108 so not too long ago and we had an intention that we might cover off like keto muscle building, but we didn't get to it, right? We spoke about some great stuff, right? We spoke about, you know, kids' health and nutrition, obviously, as two doting dads. Um, <laughs> you dug into keto, you dug into your relationship with keto, some of your carb experiments. We spoke about your animal-based nutrition. Um, I think we spoke about, you know, respecting traditional nutritional wisdom and then yeah. we vented a little bit on, you know, the plant-based <laughs> thing, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which was going to happen. Um, but we did agree that we'll get back on the mics and we'll talk about this uh, this keto muscle building stuff. And I tell you what, I'm really fascinated by this because um, I'm not keto in the, in the truest sense. Right? I'm not doing very low carb, but I do low enough carb considering my output, my, my training style. And um, I enjoy it. I love the style of training combined with the, the style of eating for the whole lifestyle benefit. But I do think there's a lot of questions out there. 
And hopefully today we can start getting through them, which is really that question of, can you build appreciable muscle mass on a keto diet? Can it be done? And if so, how do we how do we manage and optimize a low carb diet? So we're not wasting our time and spinning our wheels in the gym. Because I, I do think there's a sentiment that this just is not optimal. There's the bro uh, kind of bodybuilding style of, you know, mass gaining, which is quite high carb and relatively low fat, generally speaking. I think that's the standard MO for yep. muscle building. And keto diets, they fly in the face of that. So the immediate reaction is, hey, maybe they they just don't work and keto guys to try and make it work the best they can. So why don't we start there, man? Why, why don't we start That's with... great. Is I it, love that idea. Can it be done, right? First question is, can you build muscle on a keto diet? Yeah. So 100% you can, but we have to have some some like definitions first. So the first thing that I, that I try to define is I, I outline a lot of the stuff that my good friend, Dr. Jordan Joy has been doing. He's been researching this. Um, and I think this was actually his paper that he wrote for his dissertation for his PhD was trying to find what are the, what are the carb tolerances for athletes? Because, you know, we say ketogenic and we automatically assume 20 carbs or less, 50 carbs or less. And, you know, for a lot of people, your typical person that, that makes a lot of sense. But what about an athlete? Like someone such as myself, I, I, I was doing, I don't know if we mentioned this last time, but I, I was doing carb ups this summer where every single week I was having 225 grams of carbs of just about my body weight. So um, if you're in kilos, just multiply your body weight to two, by 2.2. And that would be what you take in on a carb up day. And then if you're tracking your macros, then you would just basically lower your fat equivalently to, to equal the same amount of calories. So let's say you, you were someone who's eating 200 grams of protein with, you know, 200 grams of fat and 50 grams of carbs. Well, whatever you bring into those, those carbs, you're going to take those calories and subtract it from fat so that you can just be isocaloric so that you're, you're eating the same amount of calories on your carb update than your non-carb update. But that's details for the future. I think the first thing we have to look at is, can you be ketogenic and eat some carbs? I mean, you can... What Jordan found was that 80 to 100 grams of carbs a day, total carbs, is completely doable for someone like us, you know? And that's why when, when you tell me, like, I'm not eating quite a ketogenic diet, it tells me maybe you are. You know, maybe if you're eating 100 to 150 grams of, of protein or 150 grams of carbs a day and you're practicing some intermittent fasting, you know, before you eat that first meal, and, you know, you're, you're definitely, there, there should be some ketones in your system. And I talked about this, I might have mentioned this last time, but the things that I think about, it's the same with protein as it is with carbs. You know, what are your, what is your lean body mass? Do you carry a lot of muscle? You're going to have more protein needs on one end. And then on the other end, you're going to be able to clear glucose faster because you're going to have more energy needs. The second thing is, what is your metabolic history? Are you insulin sensitive? Are you do you come from a background of insulin resistance? If so, then you know, you're know you going to have to tighten that up a little bit until you gain some of that insulin sensitivity back and some of that um, metabolic flexibility to be able to burn fat even when there are some carbs present in your system. And then the last one is the most important one and, and one that I think we'll get into when we start talking about 
pre-workout carbs because we'll, we'll talk about you know targeted keto and cyclical keto. Um, but this last one is what is your activity? Because there's a lot of people out there who think that they're training hard and they're just not. And and I'm not I'm not doing this as an indictment. You know, this is not me saying, hey, you're not training hard enough. If you're training in a way that is bringing you results, then awesome. But just realize that there are there are levels to this. You know, there are different levels of people who work out. There are you know high level athletes. You know, athletes who don't who just do it for recreational stuff. So um, because of that, you know, you you may not be getting a, the benefit of adding extra carbs if you're not training high enough, hard enough. And now you're may, you may be seeing some body comp changes. Um, but if we go back to the question, can you build muscle on keto, right? So now we know that, yes, you can, but athletes may be at a higher carb tolerance and still be ketogenic. Interestingly enough, if we break it down and simplify it even more, because I know I have a lot of people that are like, well, I eat a carnivore diet. What about that? Okay, that is totally possible too. Let's, let's think about what goes into muscle building. We have the mechanical stress on the muscle. We have you know, what, what ends up happening, these, these little micro traumas that happen. And then in response are our sarcomeres, which is just like the microscopic level before you even get to a, to a muscle fiber. They are going to, in, while you rebuild, they're going to, they're going to add more sarcomeres, not only in series next to each other, but they're going to be bigger. So that's just a typical mechanical muscle growth. How does that happen? We need amino acids. We do not need carbs for that. Now, we, we get hormone signaling from hormones like insulin, mm -hmm. and insulin is massively um, anabolic. You know, the one thing about it is that it's, it's not, um, it doesn't distinguish between tissues. So it's, it's anabolic in all tissues. It's anabolic in muscle, fat. Um, and then we also realize that insulin blocks fat burning. So if you have, if you're someone who maybe um, there is a, a more of a likelihood of you being able to build muscle and burn fat at the same time with a ketogenic diet, with the understanding that the muscle building part of it may be a little bit less. And so I tell people, you know, if you want to be ketogenic and you want to build muscle, it's probably going to take a little bit longer and you, you're going to get good quality, but you're not probably going to get as much quantity. So maybe before someone was like, okay, in January to, to March or, or April, I do a big uh, bulk and I usually gain like 10 kilos. Well, maybe on this you gain like five to six kilos in, in that time period. And you're like, oh, I usually gain more, but I would, I would definitely venture to say that the quality is probably better. Um, and, and maintaining that metabolic flexibility of being able to burn fat to me is worth a lot along with all the other benefits of the ketogenic diet. And then what can we do to take advantage of insulin and of mTOR, which is another very anabolic hormone, um, to, to maximize the muscle growth. But we need to realize that insulin is not the only way we grow. Like insulin is a hormonal signaling uh, it's, it's an anabolic, anabolic signal. And to some extent, you know, if you get an insulin spike post-workout, it acts not as an anabolic, but more of an anti-catabolic muscle or anti-catabolic hormone. Um, but growth hormone comes into play a little bit more with, uh, a ketogenic diet and growth hormone. The cool thing about that is that it's, it's only anabolic in muscle tissue. So can you build it? Yes. Now the question is how? That was the question that nobody was asking for years because we first needed to establish, can we do it? Mm. 
So let's let just double click on a couple of things you've said there. One, to make sure that the ground groundwork is sufficiently covered for our audience. And two, I've just got some curiosity. So you've mentioned insulin a bunch then. So, you know, for the folks listening, and and correct me if you feel I'm stating this wrong, Danny, but insulin really is, you know, is that is that master hormone that shuttles energy to the necessary tissues. So it Absolutely. does it does two things. It brings energy to either the muscles or stores energy for later use in, in your fat cells. Or it's clearing blood sugar, um, or yeah, it's it's clear it's clearing the blood to be able to maximize and leverage the glucose within within your blood. Ultimately, glucose at high volumes in your blood is toxic. We need to clear that. We need to either use it in the muscles, or we need to store it. So it's it's enabling the shuttling of energy, whether it be fatty acids or glucose, into the respective tissues, depending on the needs of the body. Now, I know. Because I've 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 taken a a fairly steadfast approach to reducing my carbs. Look, I'm not. I know I'm not keto because uh, I just look at the last weekend, <laughs> and you know, last weekend was was a gorge fest of you know potatoes <laughs> and brownies. Like so, look, uh, I'm not claiming to be keto, but I'd say for eighty to ninety five percent of the time, I'm having a hundred carbs on a training day and I'm training hard and I'm intermittent fasting the stuff we spoke about last time. So I think I'm leveraging the fat adaptation benefits of a low carb diet. I feel good about it. But I also know because I've had my blood tested several times, my insulin levels are very low, like to the point that the doctors would say, have you got some diabetic issue? Because why are you in? Why is your insulin so low? I know it's low because I'm not signaling the use of in, uh, the, the need of insulin because I'm not getting a shit ton of carbs in so we know that carbs are insulinogenic like they drive insulin into our blood because it's really that response so if we have less insulin and insulin is driving energy into the muscle cells for them to be productive um are we losing out by not having that insulin signaling as much on a very low carb keto diet I think, first of all, I wanted to mention one more role of insulin, and it'll come into play, especially with the training, the type of when when we talk about matching our training to our diet, and that is that insulin also brings down cortisol. So, you know, that's something that we got to keep in our minds, you know, when we get into the stress piece, because that's important. um, So important because so many people are like, "I'm, I'm eating a low carb diet, I'm fasting, I'm eating a carnivore diet, and my A1C is 5.7, my blood sugar is elevated. What's happening here? It doesn't seem like I'm burning fat, and that is likely due to cortisol. So we'll talk about that a little bit later, but um, I think that there's definitely, if you look at the research, um, we only have cell cultures. Um, and so we, we, we've seen that the researchers have looked at what happens when you add carbs, okay? Nothing happens when you add carbs alone. Um, you need the the amino acids. So when you add uh, protein and carbs, you get amazing, you know, very, very significant um, muscle protein synthesis. Obviously, leucine being and isoleucine b- being the ones, the primary drivers of of anabolism. And that that signal comes from those two. Um, but then if you only do protein, at least in cell cultures, there's there's really not much of a difference. Um, there is a little bit of a difference, and we don't have any human trials to show that protein alone is less than protein plus carbs. But we have, you know, decades and decades of of 
you know, um, an, uh, anecdotal evidence that protein plus carbs is much better than just protein alone. So that there, there's something to be said about that. But if you don't have uh, sufficient levels of insulin, you, you mentioned something and I, and I wanted to bring this up too. And this is why I think it's important to um, bring some carbs in periodically. And that's because, you know, he's, he asked you about diabetes and that's because, you know, what some people call physiological insulin resistance, which is basically another example would be a woman who's, who's pregnant. I don't know if they do the glucose tolerance test there where they have you drink the, uh, the purple mm -hmm. sugar juice, <laughs> but you know, they do that here and women who eat a, a low carb diet, they always fail that because their body doesn't know with what to do with such a massive surge of, of glucose when they haven't had it in a while. And so their blood sugar, insulin, it's like their pancreas is out of shape. And so it doesn't kick out enough insulin to bring that blood sugar down. And now we have elevated blood sugar. And now, hilariously, we have, if the doctor doesn't know what he's doing, a possible mis, you know, diagnosis of, of, um, of diabetes. What do you call that when they're uh, gestational diabetes? And that's not the case. You know, that's why some women, we, we advise them to just do the, you know, continuous glucose monitor and show that to your doctor. Like, look, this is what happens when I eat sugar. Look at my, or this is what happens. Look at my blood sugar baselines. Look at what happens when I eat. Look what happens after I eat. Yeah. Um, the the, one, the think, one time measurement isn't, isn't telling the story, is it? Oh, not at all. Yeah. Because you can have, number one, you can have uh, totally normal uh, fasting blood sugar and you can be already in hyperinsulinemia and we're not testing insulin, which by the way, I'm going to get my first insulin test soon here because it's $59. And, um, I just, I've never tested my insulin and people aren't testing their insulin. And that one to me is, is more important, especially if you feel like you have some metabolic issues, testing C peptide and insulin versus just testing your blood sugar. Because if you do a fasted blood sugar, you can be normal blood sugar and, and up to 15 to 20 years building up that those insulin levels and be, you know, hyperinsulinemic without having your blood sugar show it yet. And then of course, then diabetes becomes, let's manage our yeah. blood sugar. Yeah. Uh, and that's not the case. It's the insulin that's the issue. So what, what I was thinking, uh, again, uh, just wondering on what your perspective on this is. So I know my insulin levels are lower on what is now a much lower carb diet than historically. I remember once a few years ago, my, my doctor actually said to me, maybe we, we need to be talking about pre-diabetes for you because I was having a ton of carbs. Now the opposite <laughs> conversation has been said. With someone who has no, no context, by the way, this was just like an online, you know, get your labs done online type thing. Um, but the guy had commented, diabetes, I think he might have been referencing to your insulin is so low, maybe you got type 1. Like maybe you're not producing enough. I know that's not the case because I don't. I, you know, I clearly don't have any of the symptoms. But in isolation... I'm out of range for insulin or at the low end of range, should I say. And so then it was making me think like, am I, am I, am I getting the, enough insulin to drive enough of a anabolic response, enough protein synthesis? Well, I'm growing, I'm getting, I'm progressively overloaded, overloading. My body look is looking pretty good. I'm building muscle measurably. But I, that then made me think, well, maybe I'm just, I've got increased uh, muscle insulin sensitivity because I have less insulin. Have you got any thoughts about that? Has anyone kind of started to speculate on if you have lower insulin levels because you're having lower carbs on a keto diet that just your receptors for insulin are, are sensitized? 
So you still might be getting just as much of a response or similar response without the carbs. Well, Dr. Bickman, Dr. Benjamin Bickman is one of the, the premier insulin guys here in the States, and he, he calls it glucose intolerance. And, and it's just this idea that we haven't had glucose in a while, and it's like use it or lose it. And so our, our, our pancreas is, this is just speculation on my part. I don't know if this is how he interprets it. Um, you know, our pancreases are like out of shape, you know, and, and we need to give, give our pancreas, you know, a little bit of a signal every now and then. And it doesn't take much because for me, doing all this experimentation that I've done in the last couple of years, I've noticed that if I go a long period of time on carnivore, which I, I did that for a year and a half before playing with significant amount of carbs, the first week that I, that I was you know, bringing the carbs back in, my blood sugar control was completely gone. I didn't know what to expect when before I could say, this is what happens when I eat, this is what happens when I eat this amount of protein. And within a week though, not only did my blood sugar come back down under control, I found that my fasted baselines were lower and I found that my postprandial numbers were lower. And I was like, wow, isn't that interesting that I'm actually improving my insulin sensitivity by bringing some carbs in, <laughs> which is really cool. Mm. Um, and, and this is just all speculation based on what I'm seeing with my blood sugar. And so I, I share that with you guys to tell you that this may or may not be what's happening. I'm not the guy who's going to stand up here and like give you all the references of, of the studies that prove what I'm saying. I'm just showing what I'm observing. It's an inter interesting thing around insulin because I, I, it, it's easy for us all to assume we just want the, the, the less insulin, the better, because it's been demonized as this thing that's, you know, causing, you know, causing uh, diabetes for, for, for the layman, right? The people that understand yeah. it won't, won't yeah. think that, but for majority of people, it sounds like it's a bad thing to have high insulin. And I would say chronically high levels of insulin constantly trying to clear out excessive amount of blood sugar isn't a good thing. Uh, but the same breath is very low insulin levels on a keto diet. Is that optimal for muscle building? I, I think the jury's still out uh, on that. Yeah. That being said, you've been on keto diet for a while and you're looking pretty good shape and you're definitely not losing muscle. So let's, <laughs> let's, let's talk about like, whether it be speculation or it be through the work of your peers. Do you feel that a well-managed keto diet and you've you've already set the stage that that could mean a variety of diet styles where there is some inclusion of carbs depending on how much work you're doing but assume that you're you know you're staying in a in a ketogenic state do you believe you can build just as much muscle on a keto style diet than you can if you had a, a mixed diet high in carb lower in fat is it as good or are you sacrificing some benefit you're definitely going to sacrifice some of the like, uh, what's the word? Um, Size? Uh, gross, gross, gross gains. You know, okay. like you know, versus net gains. I would say, like you know, some some of the the gains that you would get on a carbohydrate on a high carbohydrate diet. You know, you, you're going to probably sacrifice on some of that size. And I I can tell you that it's it's always what's your goal? What's your main goal? What's your primary goal? What's your secondary goal? Because there's always going to be a balance. Because for me, the carbs, and I'd love to talk about this at some point, we'll talk about why carbs are so important and, and the importance of matching your training to your diet, mm -hmm. which is another very, very important factor. But why they're important is because they bring that cortisol down, which is very important. Um, but then at the same time, 
you know, over weeks, I noticed that when I was doing those weekly carb ups and I wasn't just depending on my body and, and how I felt and like, oh, am I stressed? Am I um, not sleeping as well? And, and do I need maybe some nighttime carbs to drive down that cortisol and get some more restorative sleep? Those are questions that I've asked myself now, but before it was like on a weekly schedule and it was not, it, it, it wasn't like I didn't put any thought into it. I actually was doing the carb ups on my higher volume days, which really, really worked. But I noticed it was this, this um, inflammation that was building up in my left shoulder over time. And it was like every single week when I would do that carb up, I would, I would feel awesome during the workout. I would have the energy to, to bust through and do like, you know, drop sets and higher volume stuff and lower rest stuff. But every week it was almost as if I didn't get back to that baseline of inflammation that I was before the carb up. And over a period of about 12 weeks, it got to a point where, okay, now I got to go to the massage therapist again. And I was, I had a conversation with a friend of mine, Kevin Stock, who he's a big carnivore yeah, and he used, yeah, he's, he's real smart. He's, he's big on high protein. He's big on, you know, definitely experimenting to, even if you're on a carnivore diet, what, what carb sources can we look at for, you know, carb ups and things like that. And we talked about this, you know, carbs complicate things, you know, because <laughs> there's, there's also the inflammation that builds up. And especially if you're someone who's 38, who played college football on AstroTurf, which was the worst thing ever. So like my body's, you know, a little bit more beat up than the regular 25 year old. You very well could be um, at a younger age doing these weekly carb ups and not having issues. Personally, I, I actually was having issues with the um, inflammation. And although I was probably getting a little bit more um, energy, not only for a little bit more motivation to train hard because it's such a fast burning energy, especially if I was doing like pre-workout honey or pre-workout dry, dried fruit on top of like having a, a carb up day. I felt that energy and you feel that drive, but the inflammation builds up as well. And I had to manage, I had to use a little bit more, um, willpower on my carb days because especially if you're used to eating a high fat diet, now you're switching to a high carb day. You can't just eat the same fat sources. You have to really focus on bringing your fat down. And the other thing is you don't want to bulk your carbs all around your workout. I know people say, you know, eat most of your carbs around your workout, but don't eat all of them around your workout because you're going to probably need some the rest of the day. And I, I can say this from experience because I've done post-workout 50 grams of carbs, pretty quick hitting you know, sweet potato with some honey and or, or, or some something like that. And then I'm miserable the rest of the day because I have cravings. Whereas if I'm just doing like two more meals, because usually I'll, I'll train in the morning and then I'll have maybe my lunch, you know, 11 a.m., 12 p.m. is my post-workout. And then if I'm not having another two meals or so with at least 30, maybe even 40 carbs a meal after that big post-workout meal, my blood sugar is not going to be as stable. And my blood sugar will be more stable with more carbs and I'll also have, you know, better satiety. And of course, I'm not eating like an asshole. I'm actually, you know, mm -hmm. having fiber with those meals. So, so that's all helping me stay full. That's helping me keep stable blood sugar levels. And that's probably why I woke up in ketosis. Like I was always in ketosis with post-workouts, you know, post-carb up days, you know, 225 carbs in ketosis, normal blood sugar. So, um, you know, there is something to be said about getting to that fat adaptation 
So at least taking, you know, three months before you try to, you know, mess with carbs, because if you're doing it in the beginning, um, then you're, you're going to slow down your fat adaptation process. And I'd rather get that out of the way first. Um, if someone wants to try using carbs, we know, I, we mentioned this, uh, I think on the last one I, I brought up, I might've brought up, you can, um, super starch. I find that you can super starch may be a really good bridge for someone who's starting a ketogenic diet, because you have to think about when you start this diet, you're, you're cutting out the main fuel source that you've been used to the carbs. And now you're replacing with fat and you might even be taking ketones and all that. But if you're, if you're having all this fat and you're peeing on a stick and you're seeing that you're in ketosis, but in reality, you're, you're pissing out a lot of those ketones that your liver's creating from the fat. Mm. So you're, you're, you're not really replacing the carbs right away. So taking a carb like a super starch, which is really, really good. There's another source called uh, carb 10, which is made out of pea starch. So I, I don't want to you know, miss out on that one and, and not uh, mention that one. But the one that I've been working with is you can super starch. We did a, a, a an experiment for three weeks where seven or eight influencers with two plus years on a ketogenic diet, well-trained. We all did our keto muscle intelligence program. We did fasted blood sugar and blood ketones. We did um, baseline blood sugar and blood ketones right before we took the scoop of super starch. And then we tested again 30 minutes after we trained. And we did that for three weeks. And we all found that we had stable blood sugar. We actually saw a slight uptick in ketones, which um, has also been shown in a study they did in East Carolina University, where the people who were taking the super starch, a carb supplement, were trending higher with ketones. And that's because the carb that you're consuming is not being metabolized like a sugar. It's being absorbed. So you're actually getting the usable glycogen, but you're not seeing the insulin increases. You're not seeing the, the blood sugar increases. So you have stable energy um, and you also are not compromising your fat adaptation. And it might be that the, the way that the carb works, since it's kind of like a resistant starch, you're producing some butyrate and maybe some other short chain fatty acids that are going back into the cycle. And now you're creating more ketones from carbs. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's lots of interesting little context behind all of these things, but it's important to talk about them because it's not like, you know, carbs or no carbs. I think the beauty, and you, I think you might've mentioned this already is going between these periods of anabolism and catabolism. Like we know that insulin is anabolic. We know that glucagon is catabolic, but it's, it's a fat burning hormone. So that's how can we harness the power of this ketogenic state, which is just so powerful, so life-changing for so many people. And then and take that and balance it out with, we want to build muscle. Um, and, and for me, on top of the things that I've already mentioned, the training, it has to be the training. You have to learn how to properly train on a ketogenic diet because it's not going to be the same as a high carb diet. So let's definitely get to training a little bit later, Danny. I don't, I yeah. don't want to drop the ball on that. I just want to dig a little deeper on 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 strict keto. So yeah, you, you've got the intelligence and experience um, and the lack of dogma holding you into yeah. a yeah. really really strict, you know, sub thirty gram uh, carb keto diet. But I, don't, I think a lot of people, they've seen such huge benefit with going keto. Just the idea 
of <laughs> it's it's oh, like blasphemy, yeah. right? It's the idea of like cheating on on their partner to go and start indulging in whether even whether it be honey or something that you think is going to be effective pre workout. Just the idea of touching carbs when you've you've worked so hard to distance yourself from that craving and that addiction that flows through most of our lives with a high carb diet. The idea of reintroducing them is just tough. So I just want to stick on this idea of really strict, very low carb keto for a second. You, oh, yeah. You're clearly not doing that or not doing that all the time. Why not? Is there a detriment to sub 30 gram carb keto and training to build muscle? I don't think there is. I mean, I think that there are people that can do that all the time. Um, the, the, then the training becomes much more important for those people. Um, I, I, I would definitely tell people to, to not be so locked in unless it's like, you, you're sensitive to every single plant, you know, because we, we forget since we're seeing every time we get hit with a new podcast or we're told about something new, now it's lectins, now it's oxalates. Now it's like, okay, I'm removing all lectins from my diet. I'm removing all oxalates from my diet. I'm removing this from my diet. And then it's like, wait a second, What's this in? is what, yeah, it could happen. I mean, it's not like, it's not like it's going to happen for everybody. The people that are being helped the most by this carnivore diet are the people who have sensitivities to all these things and who aren't able to clear these out of their system. And of course, they're going to have gut issues. And of course, they're going to have whether it's mental health or um, a lack of energy to the brain, whatever it is, or even food sensitivities from, you know, uh, leaky gut. All these things can can happen, but it doesn't mean that they they do happen. So we, we, we don't just automatically say I'm low carb and and I'm going to stay like this the rest of my life because this, this, this and this is bad. I would say um, be open to the idea of including some carbs, but even if you're not, then then the, the the training becomes more important and then you have to just monitor certain things like how are you sleeping? Do you feel like you're cracked out? Do you feel mm. cravings at night? Um, there's certain things that, that are telling us that our body's not either not assimilating the food that we're eating correctly or not burning fat, not using the food that we uh, consume to create to create energy, it's it's being stored as fat, and so we're storing fat, and we're not building muscle if we're stressed, and that's a big thing, and that's why again the the carbs become important because everybody talks about you know carbs for feeling full. I think that one for me personally debunked because once you're fat adapted and you have uh, sufficient sodium in your muscles and in your body you're going to get good pumps, you're going to get everything back, and you're going to feel good in the gym. But do you have a photo shoot? Do you have a, a, a bodybuilding show? In that case, maybe it does make sense to figure out a protocol that works for you, and you don't do it on on you know, on you show week. You do it, you do a dry run, and you, you, you take pictures after your carb up day, and you take the picture the next morning and see, like, do you look fuller? A lot of people do. A lot of people do look fuller if they do that carb up for a specific reason. Um, and then of course, if you're having carbs free workout and it's making a difference and it, again, it doesn't take much, you could still be ketogenic and have, let's say your, your, your baseline is 50, right? 50 top 50 total carbs or less. If you're an athlete and you, you know, you're getting a good amount of, of fiber, let's say you're getting like 20 to 25 grams of fiber. So now you really only have, you know, 25 to 30 grams of quote unquote impact carbs which if you're taking in 15 to 20 of those pre-workout, you're clearing them out of your system and then you're having another meal 
where you meet, maybe you have an avocado or you have some low sugar fruit, you're staying in ketosis, but you're, you're, you actually benefited from those pre-workout carbs. So I, I, I want to make sure that I'm clear here. I think everybody has heard me, you know, say this, I am all about using a ketogenic diet to build muscle, but there's a reason why you will not see a pro bodybuilder use a ketogenic diet. It's because you can build appreciable muscle and look awesome and even look like magazine cover ready with a ketogenic diet, but you're not going to be 300 pounds on stage. No. You're not going to be 250 pounds on stage because there's just not enough anabolic or if you do, then you're going to just eat so much energy that your body composition is probably going to suffer. And maybe that works and it takes longer, but now you got to you got to cut back on the all the subcutaneous fat that you that you gained from the extra energy that you consume because you wanted to keep it keto. Yeah, I, I don't know if you agree, but I, I get a sense that people that are on keto and carnivore diets, they are I, you can see there's muscle, man, and you can you can see people that aren't necessarily bodybuilders, but you know they're training well, they're eating carnivore, they're eating keto, they're looking pretty good, uh, but they're not looking jacked. They're not, you know, they're not looking bubbly. They're looking, yeah. dense. they're looking dense, but they're not looking bubbly. And that made me think of a couple of things. I, I spoke to Christian Thibodeau re uh, recently. He spoke about a keto diet. Oh, as nice, well. great. Uh, he's been on the show four times, man. He's he's a legend. Oh, he's, that's great, man. Just, he is a legend. He's so smart, man. But he he's got some experience with keto, and he said a couple of things which I think are fair. He said, firstly, you know, when you go on a keto diet, there is the adaptation stuff. We'll talk about that in a second. Secondly, you do lose intramuscular water. So not only yeah. are you going to be less... That's that sarcoplasmic hypertrophy that, that usually a bodybuilder is going to get be, where they're, they're filling their muscles with water versus yeah. like a myofibrillar hypertrophy, which is we're targeting more with the ketogenic diet. Um, but there's a difference there, definitely. So he said, with, with the reduction in, in kind of um, intramuscular water, he said, what you'll find is that your, your joint stability is going to be less. So he said, what you'll typically find if you're cutting hard, or if you're just, if you're doing a keto cut, you're just cutting hard, you're typically going to be reducing your carbs fairly hard, right? If you're going on a pretty hard cut. And in doing so, his observations are, you have less intramuscular water weight, therefore you have less pressure in the joints, specifically the shoulder. And he said, you'll typically find people's bench performance just sucks, just sucks yeah. until they get back onto the carbs. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm thinking there's a couple of things going on here, and I'd like you to talk to them. One is, you know, you've spoken in part about, you know, carbs fueling, you know, insulin, which is anabolic, but then there's also carbs for just general performance. Like, oh, yeah. you know, whether you perform better, whether it be because you're more sta stable um, joints or whether it be because you've got more available energy. And then there's the description of performance, right? There's bodybuilding... Oh, so there's there's strength training, two three minute rest periods, you know, five to eight reps, and then there's as you said, drop sets, rest pauses, you know, high volume training. Talk to me a bit about that. Like, what role do we need carbs for? And again, what we want, what you and I want, which is just to you know look great naked, you know, be as muscular as possible <laughs> and be ripped. Like, do they play an essential role for the average Joe, you and I, or? I, have we kind of like put carbs on a pedestal and they're really for athletes, high charging endurance guys, or people that want, you know, are really seriously into bodybuilding? 
does the average Joe need to obsess about carbs as much as we've been led to believe? Not at all, man. Honestly, um, I, I, I think strength is a little bit more clear that you don't need carbs, but there's something there. I don't know what it is. I can't identify it in research. I can't identify it anywhere because if I look at it from a mechanistic standpoint, you should not need carbs for strength. You know, we're talking about creatine phosphate, so we're not even tapping into mm -hmm. glycogen at all. We're not typing into tapping into that energy system. So why would carbs make a difference on the on the you know on the platform, for example, like powerlifting? And here's yeah, here's a do. fun. They do. They yeah. do somehow. You know, I mean, I know that for me, when I was when I was powerlifting, I would towards the end because I was getting a little bit heavier. I was I was walking around at two thirty to two thirty five, and I was still since I was so comp competitive in the two twenty weight class, I was cutting at the end. So I would cut and then I would make weight and I would have a 24 hour weigh in because I didn't do the, the, the two hour weigh ins because the, the federation that does that, which is IPF for you, but it's USAPL over here is they move too fast in the meets. Their standards are ridiculous. Like they, they, they've stopped, they, they've red lighted some uh, squats and I'm a big squat Nazi. So it's not like I'm a high squatter. Um, they've red lighted some, some squats that would pass in another reputable federation um, and this is, again, this is just me getting on my, on my soapbox because uh, this is why I don't compete with this, this, uh, federation. I respect their two hour weigh-ins. I think it's pretty awesome that you can just weigh in and then two hours later compete. It's a lot more realistic, but I mean, this is like, we have 24 hour weigh-ins. So I would, I would immediately weigh in at 220.5. That was the goal. And then that day was spent. Number one, uh, I got IV fluids immediately, three liters of IV fluids. And then I was carving up that whole day and the day of the meet, one of the things that I think helps us, the way carbs help us is they give us leverage. So if you're like, if you're all swollen, um, mm -hmm. and your, your, your singlet fits you tighter, your belt fits you tighter, you're, you're technically getting some leverage out of those carbs because you're, you're, you're just fuller and the, the mechanical, you know, you have more of a mechanical advantage. So there's that. And then um, there's just fat adaptation. So like I tell people, okay, here's my recommendation. You want to be keto and you want to be a power lifter. This is what I say. And, you know, you can listen or you could not listen. But I think that had I had the, the desire to compete again, I would prove this. But up until now, I haven't had the desire to, to get back on that platform. Maybe when I turn 40, I'll do a meet just to say I did it. But um, I would say... You need to have a 10-week off-season where you're, you're just strict keto and you're just trying to honestly get your strength back. So that whole 10-week period, usually the off-season is when we build strength and then we peak that strength. You're not really getting stronger in your meat prep. So you get a 10-week off-season where you're just trying to adapt. And now by 10 weeks, I'm relatively sure that if you stayed on top of it and you, you were consistent even if you, especially if you did some intermittent fasting on off days and you did some low intensity cardio, some walking, you know, not just swearing off all cardio because you think it's going to hurt your strength. That's going to help with that fat adaptation. Then you spend a 10 week off season now in, in a ketogenic, true optimized ketogenic state where now you're like, okay, now let's build as much strength as possible. And then we have a 10 week meat prep where you're now peaking that strength for a meat. 
Now that's 30 weeks out of your year. Again, not sexy at all. <laughs> it's like literally over half of a year where, you know, you can just say, hey, I want to do a powerlifting meet. And if you're on a high carb diet and you're already like, you don't have to adapt to anything. Maybe you do 20 weeks or maybe you even do uh, a, a short off season and go right into a meat prep. So there's something there. I don't know what it is. And I don't think it's applicable until you get to that really high weight, because there's a big difference between the guy saying, I put 200 pounds on my squat following a ketogenic diet when his squat was 200 pounds, mm -hmm. you know? Okay. Yeah. Now you're squatting 400 pounds, but what if you were already squatting 600 pounds? Regardless, it's going to be harder to, to gain, you know, to get stronger. So it's even going to be harder for someone who's, and this is why I see strength athletes, bodybuilders, they're too competitive. They don't want to wait. And I don't blame them. Honestly, I don't blame them. And this is why these people, you see them, they do well with these more like Renaissance periodization types where they're doing carb cycling. Maybe they're dropping their carbs a little bit on off days, but we're talking about, you know, going from 500 to 250 or 400 to 200, something like that. Um, so you're not really ever getting into ketosis. You're just, but you're, you're very insulin sensitive. You're, you're lean. So there's something to be said about carbs and strength, but I think it's more applicable to um to someone who's very well trained who already carries a lot of muscle and who's already strong because i know when i start talking about these things i'm dealing with a large percentage of the population that's following this ketogenic diet are people who were just everyday joes yep. you know and maybe they didn't even ever consider training hard but now they feel so damn good that they're training and they're getting beginner gains <laughs> which beginner gains will come, you know, if you're eating right and you're resting correctly, they're going to come on, on any diet. So on a ketogenic diet, you're going to do well. And then they'll continue to build muscle on that ketogenic diet, but eventually they'll start to have to do certain things to manage and, and to, to continue that growth because you're not going to always have that. So I don't know if that answered that, but I think that that's the context that I think about. I, I think that's useful, man. And as I say, I'm not, I'm, I'm not very low carb, but I'm low enough carb to, um, you know, definitely observe my performance in the gym as a, as someone who's not, you know, cracking, you know, two, two fifty to 400 grams. I'm not anywhere near that on, on my average day. I'm probably 80 to a hundred yet. I'm still progressively overloading. I'm still performing. Um, I don't necessarily feel that I'm, you know, either bonking or I'm like, I'm unable to do my rep ranges that I select for myself. Everything seems to be the same. On point. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going strict. Um, I'm not trying to be keto deliberately. Um, I'm not getting obsessive about uh, having as few carbs as possible. I just have my carbs in the evening and that's when I'm having them. And that, and that, for, that works for me. Um, but I think it's, I think it's interesting to continue to dig into the role of carbs because I, I don't think they need to be demonized, but I know I feel better with less of them generally. And I think everyone would generally feel better with less because I think we have too much. But I want to key off on one last thing you said before we get onto the transition of keto. I just want to explain how that feels, but you spoke about pump. So oh yeah, people talk about, you know, the pump, the feeling of, you know, getting swollen when you're doing your, you know, your biceps curls and seeing the veins pop up and generally feeling <laughs> that, you know, the tightness and contraction of your muscles as you start flowing blood through them. Are you saying that a, a poorly constructed keto diet whilst training 
you won't get as much of a pump or you will yeah yeah definitely uh you won't get as much of a pump it's if it's if it's not if you're not managing your your number one especially in the first month we know very clearly from research that's been done with both potassium and magnesium there have been two sep separate studies uh that are referenced in the ketogenic bible uh, both of them i'm not even sure if it's the same lab it might be but they found that after 28 days potassium levels and magnesium levels tend to start um normalizing again but i i don't fully take that as applicable to me because i think to myself i live in tampa florida it's always hot and i have a propensity to uh cramp a little bit more than other people i have a few genetic snips that make me more likely to cramp and i and i feel that um but generally speaking after that first month you should be have a little bit more leeway i would still recommend you know taking in five to eight hundred milligrams of magnesium glycinate i i like glycinate it seems to be the best absorbed one uh a day and i noticed that like let's say if i run out of a bottle i used to not be on a subscription now amazon makes it so easy for you to mm -hmm. to stay paying them every month so i i do that with the subscriptions but where i've i've gone a few days without replacing my magnesium now i'm feeling cramps i'm like trying to put on my shoe and i'm cramping in my ab and little things like that and i'm like this is not good but if you're managing sodium and magnesium 100 like if i'm going by my personal experience it was kind of unique because i was on a high carb diet right before i switched to keto and i did like a typical bodybuilding cut where my my fat was you know started quote unquote high at 80 grams and got down to like 40 to 50 grams at the end but then my carbs were were under 102 so i didn't have that much energy to begin with mm. and now that first week where i lower my carbs just a little bit more but since they're already low i didn't feel that carbohydrate withdrawal um i didn't have that ketogenic flu because i just basically added a ton of fat and so the first week it just happened this was in june of 2016 so we're talking about you know three and a half years whatever ago and i the first week didn't work out at all because i was so busy with work and then the second week i did a, a deload week where my deload weeks i just basically i cut the volume and i cut the weight by like 20 to 30 percent and i cut the volume in half so my first week back was my second week of keto it was not quite you know a full training week but i was like I could tell in the gym that with the workouts that I was doing, everything was easy, but everything was lighter, but I was wiry. I didn't have that, like you said, that fullness and that pump. Three weeks in was my first week training and I felt good. I felt energized. I felt strong, but I personally didn't really get my pumps back until about three months in when I noticed like taking pictures and video of myself. If I were to look at this video a few months ago, it would look the same as it's like I'm the same Danny from a few months ago when I was lean following a high carb diet. And so for me, I, I tell people maybe wait three months to really truly judge if you're not getting those pumps, if you say that you're not getting those pumps, um, but have salt during your workout. Like here we have uh, Redmond Real Salt. They have these uh, capsules now. You could take salt capsules. Um, the, the, the ones that they have are 560 milligrams for every two, which is great. And then if not, just take, I have these little Redmond Real Salt um, little cylinders that have a ton of salt in them. And I'm just knocking that back and putting that on my tongue and drinking water like in between sets the whole time. And I'm feeling awesome. 
and the reason why salt we're talking about salt uh, i think these are the reasons firstly if you go on a if you go on a keto diet or if you definitely if you go on a carnival diet there's just so much salt um absent from taking all the carbs and the or more importantly the processed food out of your diet right so if you have a lot of processed food you're naturally going to get quite a, a high amount of sodium coming in um so when you take that away firstly you're removing some salt there secondly if you're low carbon, you're going to have less water retention, less water retention, less pumps. But the way to counter that is just to have more electrolytes, which in turn bring this bring they, they in their own right retain water. Am, am I right in saying that that's that's the kind of trade off? Like you're taking the carbs out, but you're ensuring you've got you're maintaining or having more electrolytes to maintain a level of water retention in your muscles. 100%. So like when you drop the carbs, insulin drops. When insulin drops, it signals the kidneys to excrete water. So that whole first week where everybody's like, I lost seven pounds. <laughs> you didn't lose fat. You didn't lose fat. You it's lost a, a bunch of water. And and, yeah. and our bodies are are really smart, but they're not smart enough to not piss out all those electrolytes too. Yeah. So that's where that major electrolyte loss comes in the first week. People who don't even train, they're getting like cramps in their calves when they're sleeping. So you have to bring that salt in. And then um, the other thing that we need to understand is that they don't call it carbohydrate for no reason. Mm -hmm. You know, like for every gram of carbohydrate, even if it's a clean carb, you're 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 holding on to about three grams of water. So you know, you're you're taking out 200 grams of carbs. Let's say now that's 600 grams of fluid that was being retained in the muscles or wherever it was in the liver, wherever um, that's gone. So you have to put that back in. And um, again. If if someone's trying to argue what is keto the best diet, I would say it's it's pretty darn good. Um, but we also have to take into account why do we have to supplement? It's not because keto in in and of itself is is a um, deficient diet. It's just that we don't we never did this weird thing where we go into this building and 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 lift weights and then <laughs> yeah. you know that's that's not it's quite part a modern of the phenomenon, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's not that's not our inheritance. Our inheritance was you know seasonal eating, fasting, and it wasn't on purpose, you know, like all these things. So we have to modernize our diet and we have to um, supplement our diets and definitely take advantage of supplementation and then even go further. Look at your genetics. Look at all the things that if you have this issue, your genes are not going to automatically explain why things are happening. But if you have uh, a, a, a problem, they're going to definitely help you troubleshoot. Like I'm um, why am I so weak? Well, maybe you have an MTRR deficiency. Maybe you're not methylating B12. Maybe you have an MTHFR. You're not methylating all the B vitamins and folate. And so taking those methylated Bs, you know, getting your, your B vitamins in methylated form, it's there for us to take. Like it's, it's, let's take advantage of what science can give us without purely depending on science and medicine for everything. Mm, I think that's a good point because, you know, the, the counter could be made for say a vegan diet you know a, a strong argument against a vegan diet is that there's a bunch of deficiencies that will accrue in time um and therefore it's not a human diet you know that could be one argument right you, you need to yep. take b12 you're not going to have sufficient choline where you're going to get your creatine external creatine from you can go on you know list of five ten different nutrients that are going to be very uh, very much lacking in a vegan diet so you could say well because you have to supplement it clearly isn't a human diet and I'm hearing you saying, well, people could could attack, you know, a ketogenic lifestyle 
in the same vein, saying, oh, hang on a minute, you've got to have all this salt. You didn't have to have salt before. You're talking about these other supplements like magnesium. Why, why do you need to do that? Um, yep. I do think, though, you know, you could be healthy and have sufficient electrolytes and have sufficient magnesium and potassium without supplementing. But you're talking about optimal performance, right? And that's where you need the extra edge. Acceptable versus optimal, baby. It's the same thing to me when I say, you know, like Dr. Baker, and I was just with Dr. Baker this weekend, and like I, I love the guy to death. And he says, look, you don't need all this. You don't need to eat nose to tail. And it's true. You don't. I mean, so many people have done it for decades without being nose to tail. But I choose to eat nose to tail because every time I have liver, I'm like doing like a 10x on all my minerals and vitamins. And so like how much how how nice is that to have that leeway and and have those nutrients available to you should you need them should you have the energy needs yeah. i think it's it's worth it yeah no I, I think that's that's a really good point man um could you just clear the air on this kind of keto transition or keto flu or just keto adaptation phase of transition so you know my understanding is you know especially if you're on a high carb diet you know, you might have some level of insulin resistance. You may be pre-diabetes. You might be a diabetic. You might just generally be glucose dominant, which isn't, which is a pretty fair assumption. And now you've gone full tilt and you've gone straight into keto. The body takes time, right, to adjust and start partitioning energy in a different way, in starting to downregulate. Uh, or, or, or sensitize once again to insulin's effects because you can have less of it. You can have less glucose in the bloodstream. You're reliant on glucose driving most of your muscular performance, and now you cut it out like you know teetotal. That's you know you're going to bonk. You're going to you're not going to enjoy that. Or at least in my experience, it, it it was a bit funky for a while. I also think I may have had some oxalate dumping, which just exacerbated the Oof, issue because I, yeah. I was high in oxalates as well. But Talk to us about, you know, reasonable expectations. If someone's going to go full tilt, going in just a modern high-carb diet to a keto diet, what can and what should they expect? And how can they give themselves some leeway to see if this is actually a worthwhile transition? Yeah, so the first thing is you have to, th let's think about a few different things. So number one, let's address what's happening. I think people need to understand because I think when you're so passionate about a diet and I'm like, I'm Mr. Keto, but I want, I want people to have the full, you know, expectations, realistic expectations of what's going to happen. One of the things my wife is always talking about that's, it's a shame and it's a crime is that mothers don't know what to expect when they're going to nurse. And I think that really messes things up because then they quit easily. And now your child has a compromised immune system because you didn't nurse, you know, because no one told you that it's going to suck. You might have mastitis and all this stuff. And the same thing with keto, like everybody's like, it's going to be great. You're going to, everything's going to be better. You're going to balance your taxes. All of these things are going to happen when you switch to a ketogenic diet. And, and I'm all about that. But let's, let's talk about what happens. Number one, carbohydrate withdrawal. A lot of people go through that. Okay. So there's definitely going to be carbohydrate withdrawal. And I definitely think that's why it's so important to add lots of fat in the beginning. Not to make it your lifestyle to be adding lots of butter to your steaks and lots of butter to your coffee and all this stuff. It's, it's a temporary thing because, number one, it's going to help you with satiety. It's going to help you know with blood, stable blood sugar. It's going to also, in my opinion, 
give you more raw material for ketone production because it's a numbers game. If we're bringing in all this fat and we're, we're converting them to ketones, we're going to pee out a lot of those ketones and not be able to use them. Well, if we bring more fat in, maybe with, with more ketones that we have, maybe we use some of those ketones. Maybe we're able to tap into that. Um, that's the first thing. Second thing is protein. So important on a ketogenic diet. However, because of the fact uh, that it was used, you know, originally for epileptics and they were having, you know, 10% protein because they needed those therapeutic ketone levels to really, truly get rid of those seizures. Same thing with cancer patients or patients with neurodegenerative diseases. They're like on a four to one ketogenic diet, which is like, you know, four times the amount of fat calories, I believe, to protein and carb calories. Um, and then, you know, but that's not us. We're different, you know. And so if we're focusing on keeping our, our muscle on, which is so important during this transition, protein has to be high. And we need to not be worried about, you know, this protein turning to sugar magically turning into a cupcake um it, it doesn't happen it's like it's a demand driven process and so i always use the analogy like you have gas stations everywhere you know your car is not going to automatically go to the gas station and you're not going to automatically fill up every time you 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 see a gas station because there's an abundance of gas stations you're only going to fill up your tank when you need it and the same thing goes for protein you know, protein is demand driven. So if you have adequate fat in your body, if you have adequate energy, your protein's not going to automatically turn into sugar because it's energetically very expensive. I think it takes like six ATP for you to convert, you know, one gram of protein uh, or yeah, I think a gram of protein, let's say into uh, carbohydrates. Like there's a lot of things that need to happen. It's protein is a building block. It's not an energy source. So already you're, 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 if you're using protein to tur and turning it into sugar, sure, if there's an excess of protein, that'll happen, but it's not going to automatically happen. And, and it, when it does happen for most, most people, it's because they're somehow compromised. They've, they've not taken enough calories in, which happens a lot where people just say, well, just lower the carbs. Or if, you're not, if you don't have enough fat, your hormone production is going to suffer, satiety is going to suffer. You're going to lose a ton of weight, but then you're going to get kicked in the face when your metabolism slows down, your hunger hormones go up. So you got to have enough fat, but protein needs to be high. And this is, you know, Dominic Diagostino has mentioned this, the first three weeks are crucial. And again, this comes back to the whole thing, like a uh, ketogenic guy, number one tells you, don't worry about, you know, that, that weight that you lose in the beginning, you're just losing glycogen. And while that may be true, because you have to drain those glycogen stores so you could really start tapping in to fat and really start like producing ketones, if you're not having enough protein, you could be losing lean tissue as well. Mm -hmm. So athletes need to eat high protein. And for me, I think like a good uh, rule of thumb is just take one times your lean body ma mass in pounds. So if you're a hundred kilo athlete, multiply that number by uh, 2.2 and that will be, or okay, let's say you're a hundred kilo athlete and you have 10% body fat. So you have, um, what's that, 90 kilos? So 90 times 2.2, that would be your, your, um, I don't, your protein. I don't hear many people using lean mass as the um, as the initial number to drive their kind of protein estimate. People, just whether it be lazy or just, you know, or, they'll or say body weight. They'll just go body weight, tire, you know, just 
one times your body weight for the most part. Why you drive? Why are you driving that equation based on lean mass in particular? Well, I have always like from the beginning. I was really lucky because I, the person who introduced this to me was was a guy who was doing research in grad school here in Tampa um, with Dr. Jacob Wilson and Dr. Ryan Lowry. And he sent me like 41 published papers. Like I said, send me everything that you have. I'm going to read it all, <laughs> you know? And so he sent me all these papers. He, he sent me, uh, he said, read this book and read this book. And so I read um, pretty quickly. I read uh, the art and science of low carb performance, which was my Bible for a while until the ketogenic Bible came out and the ketogenic Bible uh, that was actually written by, by Ryan and Jacob. Um, and that one had performance in it too, but Dr. Um, Jeff Volick and, um, Stephen Finney are to me like the gurus, like the original, uh, PhDs that were doing tons of research on ketogenic diets 30 years ago. And it's just been interesting because they, they're like, we went from like pariahs to like saviors. Like now everybody gives us praise and, and actually, Dr. Volick and I uh, partnered up because remember that you can experiment that I told you. He actually uh, wrote an, a, a hypothesis paper on you can superstarch for the fat adapted athlete using all of our information, which was really really cool. But they've always always said, you know, they've always gone by lean body mass. So um, they I, they've used everything from 1.2 to 1.7 times uh your your reference weight or your your desired body weight um in kilos so it's a little bit that one comes that equation comes out to a little bit lower of a protein range than they've also said in their book they were saying um anywhere from 0.8 to 1.2 grams per kilogram um and then 0.6 being like the lowest that you could go without compromising your lean body mass and then if you're talking about with kilos 1.2 uh, grams per kilogram was the lowest that they would go. But the only reason I use the lean body mass is because of, because of them, like just that, okay. that is, that's is a starting it, point. Is, is it negative to just go simpler and go weight, weight times, uh, grams? Um, do you think there's, you've spoken about, uh, um, converting protein to glucose, yeah, gluconeogenesis. gluconeogenesis. Yep. Are you saying if, if you, if you amp it up too much, if you go, one gram per pound. Now we might be compromising that at all, or are you you just happy to say we don't need as much as that equation suggests. So let's just use lower, which means we can just get more fat in generally. Yeah, I, I'm happy to say that we can we can use lower. It's fu it's funny because the whole first year, I am such a contrarian that I was like, you don't need protein, and I was like, look at me, and I and I and I had my protein low, and I went on a cut. And I brought my protein down to like 75 grams a day at the wow. end of my cut. And I got to like six and a half percent body fat. Uh, personally, I've actually spoken about this in one of my programs. It's It's been for years now really popular. It's the carnivore keto cut. And I spoke about how when I did this initial cut, I, I, I used protein as the lever that I was you know, taking the most calories from. And then fat was a secondhand thing. Now, with the carnivore keto cut, it was mostly just cutting fat. So starting at a number and then, you know, taking a little, taking the fat down a little bit every week. Mm. And I found that I could eat higher protein on a carnivore diet. So like someone who eats a carnivore diet, I believe if they were coming from a ketogenic diet, let's say they had, um, we know that protein and carbs are the potential limiters of 
of ketosis. Um, obviously, leucine being a very ketogenic amino acid, so it's not going to um, kick you out of ketosis. And that's great because leucine is also the most anabolic um, amino acid, which is freaking awesome. Um, and I had like this higher fat approach. And now if you were eating 100 grams of protein before and 50 grams of carbs and you went, you switched to a carnivore diet and you said, I want to bring my protein up, I can, you know, this is all again, off of my personal speculation, I believe based on what I've seen with myself and other clients that you would have the ability to increase your protein way more than just the carbs you took out. So if you were eating 50 carbs, you would be able to, to bring your protein much more than just 150, where before, you know, you were at 100 protein and 50 yeah. carbs. Okay. You, would, you would still be able to maybe even go to 200 grams of protein and still remain in ketosis and feel awesome. And then you'd also be able to benefit from, number one, the thermic effect of the protein, because we know that you're burning a, a ton of uh, energy with protein just from the, it, it, it generates a lot of heat, you know, from the, the thermic effect of it. So there's that. And also some people like myself are much more satisfied with protein than they are with fat. Like I could eat a 90, I could have a 90 gram of fat coffee and be starving an hour later. But meanwhile, I've had, you know, like seven, 800 calories in a coffee that did absolutely nothing to give me amino acids or energy or, well, maybe energy, um, but not really give me that satiety. Or I could eat a ribeye that's maybe 10 ounces and it's like 100 to 200 calories less depending on how lean it is. And I feel much more full and much more satisfied. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that too. Yeah, just you know, fat, fattening up your coffee does, does nothing for my satiety. I, I've learned to avoid... It know, tastes good. Avoid, avoid <laughs> the signal and just go, do you know what, I can get crack on, but it doesn't make me full. I just go, do you know what, I don't need to eat but whereas, as you say, you have a nice ribeye, you know, you, you feel satisfied. You don't, you, you're not thinking about food thereafter. Yep. I, I agree with that. So, okay, so we've got, we're at the early transitioning of getting getting into keto. You're keeping your protein to about a pound per lean, uh, lean mass in. And you can go higher depending sorry, on if a, you're like. A, sorry, a gram, a gram per pound of lean mass. Is that roughly about? where you know it's Absolutely. a good starting point okay it's a good starting point and then from there you can play around with it and you may be able to do more especially if you're a hard gainer if you're a hard gainer then i would say definitely go for just body weight you know because you're as it is you're you're gonna need more mTOR signal from the protein because protein will will trigger mTOR which is also anabolic it's just a weak signal it's 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 funny because like on the other end people are saying don't have too much protein because it's too anabolic and and if you have cancers, you know, mTOR is like the first thing that you want to limit. It's a growth factor, but it's hilarious to me when they say that because I can eat a ton of protein and the signal that I'm going to get, the mTOR signal is going to be small and it's going to be transient. It's yeah. going to go away quick. But if I have an insulin spike, that triggers mTOR more than anything. So people who are like, you know, lower your protein, I'm like, listen, Protein's not going to be the thing that that's going to lower your mTOR. It's going to be just don't just eat low carb. <laughs> so you're going low carb, and you're going to probably start feeling a bit stressy. Maybe your sleep's going to go a little bit funky. Um, your workouts are just not going to feel the same. I'm 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 guessing, but I think this is a general kind of rule of thumb. They're going to feel a little bit different. Um, 
you're going to definitely feel some cravings. Um, the urge to want to eat carbs is going to be strong. And that's, that could be just distracting in the gym alone, let alone for the rest of the day. Yeah. Um, there's a lot going on there. And uh, yeah, how, how do you how do you encourage people to persevere through that? Because they might start feeling the the mental clarity thing kick in sooner, but the gym performance thing can sometimes lag. Or have you seen the opposite or or, or different? Oh man, I think it's I think you're right on target. Like I think um, people again they just need to manage their expectations going in. And so for me, I was like, I want to be in ketosis. I'm going to do this. And so don't do it during your season or don't do it at a, at a time when you want to be like at the top of, you know, competition because, you know, it's smart to do it in an early off season. Um, and it's even great to do it. Even if you don't plan on quote unquote, switching your complete lifestyle to a ketogenic lifestyle, maybe you're, maybe you just want to do early off season, um, after a meet, after a bodybuilding show, you want to get your hunger hormones in check. You want to bring inflammation down. You do a three month ketogenic phase and you bring all that inflammation down and you feel awesome. But if you're someone who wants to switch, just keep those things in mind. You're, you're going to find the mental clarity is going to come really quick within the first week. The, the, uh, just the other benefits, you're going to have increased energy and you might be able to, uh, you feel good on endurance activities quicker as well. So like, I felt like I'd ran my first half marathon within like six months of keto when I, I would have never if you would have told me, are you ever going to run again? I would have said no, mm-hmm. but I did because I felt that extra energy. Like I was parking further away from places. I was like, I got to walk. I, I, and then I wasn't getting that two to 3 PM, man, I need a coffee. I need something. I'm, I'm like on point. Actually my first ever speech, um, first time I ever got up in front of a crowd of people was in 2017 at KetoCon, And I, all I did was talk about how keto made me a superhuman. I, had a, t- a 10 to 20 percent increase in productivity at work and you know i had to put a number on it and what did that lead to well that led to the first time i ever won president's club at my company which is like top seven percent in sales we got to go to turks and caicos we you know i made a ton more money and so to me that was worth you know having those that that short period of, of time where my workouts kind of suffered but it's good to know that your workouts may suffer in that in that beginning transition. But it's not. But it isn't permanent, right? You, it's you, not you permanent. Exactly. So Absolutely. before we kind of bring the carbs back in, um, when 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 does when does the workout start feeling good, right? If you're if you are on a high carb diet, right? Now some people might be moderate to low anyway. So going properly into keto might not be such a shock to the system. But if you're just eating a standard diet and you go keto, there's going to be a bit of a rough patch, right? Um, when can you expect to start feeling more normal in the gym? Now, one caveat, you might not be training particularly hard in the first place. So if that's the case, maybe, you know, it's no difference. But if you're used to really performing in the gym, and now you change your energy source like that, there's a good chance you're going to feel it. When can it start to resume and you start feeling actually, I might be even improving performance or strength? Yeah, I think that I think that for me, uh, safe to say it was two to three months. But then um, something happened at about, let me see, June. So about a year and two to three months in, um, this higher fat approach that I was taking, I started to gain some uh, subcutaneous fat. 
So I hadn't changed my approach from the very beginning. Like I, I had high fat, lower protein, and the, and I was I hadn't changed anything for over a year. And then you started and now, getting some fat. Yeah, I started gaining some fat, and to me, that's telling me, man, maybe my maybe my body's fat adapted. Maybe I don't need this extra fat. Maybe I can tap in because I have access to it. My body fat stores, and so I I increased the protein at that point, right. and then I lowered the fat, and I I found my performance increased. I lost the you know remaining little subcutaneous fat that I had gained. So that tells me that maybe maybe it can take like uh, over a year to fully adapt. And then if we look at actual like um, really high level endurance competitors, for example, you know some of the ones that I don't know how they did it. Honestly, I'm just grateful that they did because. Some of these people, they had slower times, and we're talking about world's top ultra endurance people, you know, 50, 100 milers, and these people had slower times that first year of ketogenic dieting, and then the second year, they blew every single record out, out of the water. So it took them even longer to adapt, and we're talking about people who already are going to have a level of fat adaptation yeah. because of the amount of uh, energy that they're, you know, um, burning just from the endurance so it could take up to a year to fully adapt um but that but, sounds you scary know, you, 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 <laughs> yeah let's just say two to three months okay. is when you'll feel two to three <laughs> months when so. you feel really good not everybody's <laughs> gonna be also as like as in tune with their body as and and as like tapped into every single detail as i've been yeah no i think that's a fair point i think it's 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 unless you're being very observant um and you're very in intuitive to how your body's performing currently um you probably won't notice that great a deal especially if you're not even training right if you go from not training to training you're not going to know the difference but when you're training at a high level already uh, i think it's fair to say there's some some drop but it comes back uh, and then at some point you say you get fat adapted you're you're, you're self-regulating your energy you've got more energy more clarity your performance is back on point in the gym and now you start thinking about can i can i bring these carbs back in in a strategic or tactical way now we've spent some of the time talking about this let's just be clear then so you're you're leveraging carbs strategically do you want to just describe what it is you're doing and we can use that as maybe like the baseline or framework for people to think about how they might want to do it if they're keto adapted absolutely so first of all um you know there's targeted keto which is basically training with carbs uh, around your training window usually before sometimes right after as well and then there's cyclical keto when you're just in ketosis for most of the days of the week and either you're doing a carb up meal or a carb up day okay. or a two-day carb up. And I, I wouldn't recommend this last one because that's the only one that I've actually seen research on. And that was actually from Ryan and Jacob's lab where they 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 had bodybuilders and they put them uh, in a deficit and they wanted to see who burned more fat. And so the, the strict ketogenic group and the cyclical ketogenic group actually lost the same amount of weight. Um, but they found that the cyclical ketogenic group, it took them a few days every week to get back into ketosis because mm -hmm. they were getting their blood ketones. They were dealing with um, cravings and they lost more, way more lean body mass. So they actually lost lean body mass by bringing those carbs in every single week for two days. Uh, and that's where uh, Ryan and, and Jacob first started to talk about the potential anabolic signaling properties of ketones because ketones um we know that they're muscle sparing maybe they're even anabolic and so a two-day maybe doesn't work well but for me and i would I, I, and, and i would just say i think the earlier point around 
just your um your your mental and psychological capability to handle that transition from keto to carb fest to keto again it's fucking oh. hard it's hard like when, yeah, when, when i have man. you know slam down the potatoes and i have a big fat brownie or i have an apple crumble and i have all you know all that kind of stuff going on it feels great feel i, I tank immediately afterwards within an hour or two i'm like i need to sleep and that never used to happen that hasn't happened for the last year and a half but when i do that i need to sleep and then trying to get back to low carb the day after it's just so much harder isn't it when when you've just oh, yeah. got that taste back of you know the sweet carbs back in your life so yeah i, I would not <laughs> well they say I would that there's a hedonic effect of course it is yeah for 72 hours after you eat carbohydrates you can depending on who you are it might affect you more like there's that hedonic effect you know that's where hedonism comes from uh you know like the, the pursuit of pleasure like that 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 carbs it, it it triggers you to want more of it i mean it's so addictive that you have to manage that for up to three days if you're if you're doing that. So let's let's assume that that's, you know, that that requires a little bit more stoicism, a little bit more intuition, <laughs> a little bit more kind of self-control. So let's let's go for something maybe a little bit more practical, which is maybe the targeted keto. How how would that work? Yeah, that I, I think targeted keto is a great way to start because you can still even not even say that you're that you're out of ketosis because if you're eating let's say 30 carbs the rest of the day and then you take in 15 to 20 grams of carbs pre-workout from something quick acting like either like a, like a cyclic dextrin or like a, or or even like for me it's easy it's honey like honey is awesome it's like mm -hmm. boom instantly what, just one, one tablespoon of honey just straight something like that that's it yeah, yeah and that right there is like 16 grams of sugar you know some people start getting into the weeds and talking about like fructose versus different carb sources i haven't you know, for me, like those, that, that, that honey is working great for me. Okay. We don't want to have too many carbs before training because we don't want insulin to be too elevated during training because it actually hurts your muscle contractions. Like you, you won't be able to train as well with elevated insulin during training. So but you're not going that, for a hundred grams of carbs pre-workout. That's, that's excessive and unnecessary. Totally excessive and unnecessary. And even for a, a person following a high carb diet, I wanted to mention this earlier you don't need as much as you used to think like yeah. see if you can see if you can feel better by cutting those carbs a little bit more uh, and and adding a little bit more fat to your diet and not being so low fat you're probably going to feel better like the thing is they're going to be like well my calories are going to up well maybe your calories are too damn low anyways <laughs> you know like maybe you should be eating more um we can eat like up to 5 500 to 1000 calories more depending on what and when we eat and still maintain our weight, but now we're just better fed. We're 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 not um, malnourished. So those fifteen to twenty carbs pre workout, you have those, and then maybe not even have something post workout or have something post workout. And if what's, you what's do your, have, what's your preference? Do you think you should or shouldn't if you're trying to maximize the hypertrophy benefit? Um, I think if you are, if you're definitely um, focusing on 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 building as much muscle as possible, then yeah, maybe have some, some carbs right after as well. You know, it all depends on your sources. Like I always say, start putting some thought into what your sources are going to be in and have your go-tos. Like for me, it feels really, really good to do, um, just a steamed rice that I, I allow to cool for two hours. 
So um, make sure that that it's cooked and cooled for like two hours, and then you turn that rice into more of a resistant starch. It changes the whole weight buildup of that of that rice, and now it's not going to give you as much of a. You're still going to get an insulin increase, and you're still going to get a blood sugar increase, but it's not going to be as much because it's slower absorbed. So I do that in the form of like either sushi or I'll I'll have like post-workout rice and, and a lean meat or a lean fish. Um, and then I used to do the sweet potatoes, but I started to like, then when I got into the oxalate, you know, <laughs> yeah, the little, the, the rabbit hole, I, I switched to squash variations and Are you, and are you other... doing this most of the time now, Danny, or is this just something you dabble with? Uh, the, you're talking about the carb days? Yeah, just generally having having carbs, you know, pre-post. Is is yeah, oh. is this is this something you try and, or is it something which is more uh, more of a ritual now? This is good that you asked me this because I, I I want people to realize that I'm talking to them and not myself because for myself I haven't seen the need for a carb up since August, okay. but that's because I haven't been training that hard. Like you know, September, October, November, December. Um, I was doing like more of a metabolic focus. I was, I was doing more jujitsu. I was doing more like long walks and, and just low key on the training intensity. Um, I, I think that after this month, um, I I have one more trip at at the end of the month, actually two more trips at the end of the month, uh, February, I'll be here for a good amount of time. Like I'll be here for, I think three months without anything. And I'm like, okay, now's a good time to, to get into a muscle building phase. And I'll probably either carb up every week if I if I give myself the right programming to take advantage of those carbs, or maybe I'll carb up like every other week. But I would say, you know, have someone, you know, start maybe do a month where they carb up, you know, uh, once a week and they make sure that they carb up on the highest volume day. So any type of drop sets or anything that they want to do it, do it that day. Would, how, how do you feel about carving up in the evening? So that's what I do. So again, I'm not doing this with any any science. It's just personal um, pleasure, hedonism, and just kind of habit. But I don't have any carbs pre-workout. I work out in the morning, so I just have myself like a fatty protein shake, a bit of coffee. I work out, have electrolytes. Uh, post-workout, I've kind of got myself into the groove of just having some anchovies and another kind of like... Uh, Raw milk, Ooh, that's delicious. raw milk coffee <laughs> afterwards and that just kind of does me it's not a lot of calories but just enough to satisfy myself and then i have a big big dinner like that's just that's where i'm that's where i i get my pleasure and i won't have a ton of carbs but i have some rice or, or some potatoes and as i say it's probably about 80 80 grams there um and i'm typically working out you know six days a week sometimes five so most days is a workout day um and i'm working out as soon as i wake up now, I don't know whether that's it's probably not optimal, but I'm not I'm not carving up around my meal, but I'm carving up the day before my meal. And I suspect a lot of that still is running around my body, you know. By oh the yeah. It, it totally is. I think it's very smart to do it at night, especially if cortisol if you're stressed. Sleep, yeah. Yeah, because like, you know, we know this is why, you know, people do well with the skip breakfast type of intermittent fasting where they where they don't eat until lunchtime because your cortisol is elevated in the morning you're you're in that type a go 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 get stuff done you know and that's cortisol is really good for that um and then by midday if your cortisol hasn't dropped down 
then maybe it does make sense to have a little bit of carbs. And, and at night, we need to make sure that cortisol is as low as possible so that you're, you're, you're ready to sleep and you're ready to digest and, and all that stuff. And so eating those carbs at night works very well and will work well for training as well because now you'll those carbs will be as you know usable glycogen by the time you're in the morning and, and that's why you're probably getting good pumps and you're probably feeling really good and you didn't have to have carbs right before you trained yeah i don't know whether that as a result means you know strict strict ketosis is out of the window but it just works for me you know I, I'm, I'm not i'm not particularly dogmatic about you know keto strips i don't i've never done it actually but i just want to feel that i'm fat adapted i want to feel that I'm not reliant on carbs to fuel my existence. Um, but I enjoy them. I enjoy them. And if I can strategically use them, I still feel like I'm getting the best of both worlds. But listen, man, this has been incredible. As as per the last one, we got into a little bit more specifics, which I loved. Um, we didn't cover training, but I suspect, you know, your guidance around training is is relevant for any dietary style as long as you're eating enough nourishment generally speaking um but if you wanted to talk about it the the floor is yours if there's anything you think hang on a minute there's something i have to talk about training specific to keto diets go for it man just i'll just say that it's so important that um people match their training to their diet like you know for example my my uncle and i hate that i keep throwing him under the bus but you know i i love him but the guy you know he's been following a carnivore diet he's a triathlete he um he trains fasted and he eats zero carbs how is his a1c 5.7 that's an average of 102 milligrams per deciliter or 5.7 millimoles blood sugar for the past three months i mean with everything he's wow. doing he should be a fat-burning machine. And the reason he's not, I, I found out, uh, was because he's like, how do I get my A1C down? I start giving him ideas like, you know, take berberine with your meals, go for walks after dinner. But I was like, wait a second, how are you training? You know, what zones are you training in? And he was doing a lot of training in zone four, mm -hmm. which is an intense training zone, which is not, it's not usually a fat-burning training zone. Like even the most fat-adapted athletes. highly glycolytic, right? It's very glycolytic. And so you're asking your body to create all this sugar. It's going to create the sugar. You're probably going to sacrifice some muscle in that case. That's for sure. Right. Um, and so you have to train uh, in a way that doesn't ask your body to, to, to create a bunch of sugar. You'll start to get the benefits of fat adaptation within those first three months. And then you'll be able to, as the faster study has shown, operate at a higher level of your vo2 max using fat as energy and you're not only um able to use that fat as energy which is awesome but because of it this is why you're not tapping into that glycogen right away because your glycogen's probably a little bit lower to begin with but you're you're you have usable glycogen for that those little spurts and those little sprints and the the study showed that these fat adapted athletes were able to replenish glycogen at the same rate however the big consideration, this is where like context comes in again. Not if you're doing it over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Like there's a, there's a specific point when fat will not be able to keep up and turn that, um, you know, turn that your body will not be able to turn that fat into sugar at a fast enough clip to keep up. And then that's when you get into gluconeogenesis from protein. That's when you, you're, you you got the elevated blood sugars. So if you're training to build muscle, um, 
focus on the most important thing. I mean, we I'll send you the link because we have this link of of you know five reasons why you're not building muscle on keto, and then people can learn about why. But you have to focus, of course, on execution. If you're training less volume, uh, which I do, my my volume is lower, my reps are lower, my rest is longer. So let's say I'm training in that five to eight rep range with that two to three rest minute uh, rest period um, most of the time, and then you know one to two days a week, I'm I'm moving faster, I'm doing more intense training, and depending on if the volume is high on that day, then I'll add some carbs. But on those other days, I am religiously sticking to those rest periods. And now people say, well, I'm not going to get a, as much of a pump that way. And that's where we go back to like talking about, okay, this is targeting mostly that myofibrillar hypertrophy, which is not going to be associated as much with this balloon look, but you're also going to have more functional strength because it, it actually is tied to strength more. And then if you want that sarcoplasmic hypertrophy, then train that way, you know, one or two days a week and then bring those carbs in. But the pumps... And, and ju just to be clear, you're, you're talking about um, high volume, high rep work, right? Yes. So the, the kind yeah, of and lower rest. This idea yeah. that it's the classic body, bodybuilding style of training where you're just doing shitloads of reps. But in actual fact, a lot a lot of experts saying, they say that's a classic way for body that bodybuilders train, but it isn't. It just seems to be <laughs> yeah, classically... Instagram. <laughs> um, yeah, dude. Well, that happens towards the end of a of a prep. You know, like you start adding those things in, but they're not doing that the whole time. You're the absolutely whole thing, right. Yeah. So, like speaking to Paul Carter, speaking to Christian Fibodo, you know, they're, they're also they're both saying the same thing. They're saying do what you're saying, but they're not saying yeah. do that because it's keto. They're saying do that because it works. So, and yeah. that, that that was my point. Is like you know, if we if we center in on what is the you know ideal or, or preferential way to predominantly train it there seems to be enough agreement not universally but generally speaking that that kind of training where strength is the focus is probably going to get you the biggest bang for your buck and now you're 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 already fitting into the keto style so that that feels like a win-win it doesn't feel like you're sacrificing training and muscular performance to go on keto keto just sub uh, just comfortably fits in with a style that seems to be pretty effective that's a really good point and and i will add one more thing because again this also um this also applies to non-ketogenic dieters work on the quality of the work that you're doing mm -hmm. because you know work on the density of your training like if i'm if i'm doing five sets of eight on a on an exercise but i'm not truly focusing on number one uh, being as stable as possible, like having a fixed point and knowing my anatomy and then making my muscle do what it does and uh, keeping that point fixed, I lose my stability, I lose the contraction, and I also lose, obviously, I might even injure myself. Not only that, then I'm also working on the initiating the, the movement the right way. So how am I making sure that I'm getting a, a full contraction at every length of the contraction? Because everybody's like, it's easy for you to do a bicep curl and flex it and feel a rock hard contraction like that. That's like so easy. But how do I get a contraction with my when my arm is extended mm. and my biceps in the lengthened position? And you can 
get that contraction just by initiating the right way, like certain little coaching cues. Uh, for example, if I was doing a preacher curl and I wanted to put my tricep on that preacher bench and get an ex a, a real good contraction in my bicep in the lengthened position, I would drive my tricep into that pad to initiate the movement and I would immediately feel a contraction in my bicep at the insertion right at the very end. And this is what people are trying to work on. They're trying to, how do I get my chest to pop out here in the, in the insertion? Well, if there's no tension there because you're only working the muscle in the contracted, fully contracted, shortened position, then you're not getting the best work. And then people are like, well, I need to add more reps. I need to add more weight. And then you're focusing on external um, cues and external um, stimuli to, to grow the muscle when the muscle doesn't care about, it doesn't care about weight. It doesn't care about um, reps, any of that. It cares about tension. And so tension is what we need. And we need obviously length. So we need to make it inefficient and we need to make it really hard. And so, you know, doing that leg curl, that lying leg curl and, and adding an extra 10 pounds, but then pushing your butt up to, to get that, that leg curl closer to your butt to, to, to finish the rep. That's not, you're not getting more out of that. You maybe even need to lower the weight. So I may that you've been doing get, that this morning. <laughs> hey dude that's a, that's the leg curls like the, notorious i i now have to mentally prepare for leg curls before i didn't and now i'm like this is this is gonna be hard and and i and i can't really most of the time do a set of 15 on leg curls like it's gotta be it's hard, six man. to eight you can't and people are like well i don't have the i don't have the mobility yes you do have the mobility drop the weight yeah. did you get the, did you get it to your butt yeah, so it's not mobility, it's strength. Yeah, now work on the strength with good form. It's not It's not a good idea filming me when I do leg curls. My face, man, it's just it's something else, man. <laughs> <laughs> Let alone the butt I feel rise, you, man. man. I feel you. Cool, listen, you. thank you for that. That kind of quick, uh, you know, guide through the training stuff. We'll get that link if you send it through to me. Actually, I think you sent it already. I'll get that link in there as well. Um, cool, let's wrap this up, man. Is there... Anything you want to kind of promo, anything you want to talk about, I'll obviously put your kind of socials, et cetera, in the show notes, but anything the guys need to know before we wrap this up? Oh, man, I appreciate it. Um, always good talking to you. I, the only thing that I'll mention, obviously, besides Keto Muscle Intelligence, we're always growing that. We're going to start a, a, a coaching platform for that that's going to be massive. It's not going to be – it's going to be much more than body transformation coaching so nice. i'll leave it at that and that's that's a great plug right because that's just that just taps straight into our conversation that is nutrition and training guidance and material life optimization you know being a better human being all the stuff that you and i are really interested in when we're not doing podcasts okay all <laughs> well, in the keto muscle intelligence program yeah nice. yeah it, okay it's going to be, that one's going to be, I'm really excited for that one because I think it'll be, will be very unique. Um, other than that, um, the carnivore keto cut just, I just relaunched it. It took me like another, it took me like six months, the last six months to update it. I added a, another 19 pages to the ebook. Wow. Um, and people have been using that for two years now, like thousands of people, over 20 countries. It's a, a month-long cut with no suffering using a ketogenic, a carnivore ketogenic approach. So that's basically that's you can find that on my Instagram. Um, I think it's actually uh, I'll, I'll give you the link so that you can share it. But yeah, that that one's always good because it's a it's a month. Then we do a reverse diet, and people just crush it, and they they don't suffer. You know, we we cut fat, but somehow. They're losing all this fat and they're not suffering like they typically do, which to me is is why I use it 
whenever I want to cut. And I know that in a month I'll be lean as long as I execute. Nice, nice. I'll make sure we reference all of those, man. Thank you for this marathon session. It was fantastic, Danny, man. Always, always a pleasure. Um, I'll get this out in a couple of weeks' time. I'll let you know when it comes out. And um, yeah, let's just uh, share it out there and get people hearing your wisdom because, yeah, you you know your shit, man. I love speaking to you. Thank you, brother. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about this. Cool, man. Speak to you soon. Talk to you soon. If you enjoy this show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps. And of course, recommend us to any friends or family who you think might enjoy the show. Feel free to get in touch with us via our website, adaptnation.io, or your favorite social media channel. This has been Adapt Nation. Till next time, thanks for listening.